<laughs> well, the whack bags are kind of fun. Look, it's like silver packaging. It, it's like a present. You have to unwrap. Well, people think it's tacos when they come up. Oh, okay. Table. Well, if you think it's tacos, that's a far disappointment yeah. then. Well, if you were looking for a podcast that compares wag bags to tacos, I'm sorry, but you have found it. Um, and hopefully this didn't ruin tacos for you. But um, And if you don't know what a wag bag is, well, listen to the podcast and you will learn. Welcome back, everybody, to the Recreation Elevated podcast. This is Caroline. I'm really excited to be finally releasing another episode. It's been almost four months, I think probably over four months at this point since I've released one. And I could name all the reasons why I haven't had time to do it, but um, bottom line is I just haven't had time to do it and it's been really busy. But we've had a really fun summer over here at the division. We've had lots of great travel from our staff. We've opened and closed numerous grant programs, given out millions and you know tens of millions of dollars in grant funding, and it's been really fun and busy. So I was really excited when I finally had some time to record a podcast and get Anna Sprout from Grand County to be our, you know, first one back after a long hiatus. So um, in typical Recreation Elevated Caroline fashion, we kind of just jump right into the conversation here. Anna is um, part of the Grand County um, Trail Mix Program or the Recreation or responsible recreation program down in Grand County. She's amazing. She has worked tirelessly to get the Moab Trail Ambassador Program up and running, which she will tell you all about here on the podcast. But was really excited to sit down with Anna and chat a little bit with her about the work that she's doing down there. So thanks everyone for your patience in um, waiting for a new episode, but really excited to have this one be our first one back. So thanks and we'll turn the time over to Anna. Um, that our economic development office makes. So, okay. Lots of, and then our biking maps here and our spill, the spill kit. kit. Why don't you get into the spill yeah. kit? Let's talk about that and then we'll dive into all the things all the about what you are and who you are. But okay. we'll start with this. So I'm really excited about the spill kit. So we're starting our motorized trail ambassador program. Okay. And we want to hand out items that are useful. And so like a wag bag is useful useful electrolyte is useful Um, a spill kit is useful when you have a motorized vehicle and i know we mentioned i was we were going to talk about wag bags but i realized we didn't actually touch on the subject um too much and then just to give you an idea about what the spill kit is for um so a wag bag is basically just a bag um filled with she was she talks about it maybe some um similar to like cat litter or like wood chips very absorbent materials within the bag Um, And it's basically to take your human waste out. So when you're out in these alpine or desert fragile um, environments, um, more appropriate to take out your waste with you. So don't pee or poop and leave it, um, but actually use this bag to go to the bathroom in and then pack it out. Um, So it's basically just an option for you when there are no bathrooms available if you're out in the backcountry. Some of these places do see a lot of visitation. And so if we were to, you know, go to the bathroom wherever we pleased, it would become a very um, large issue to the environment. And then obviously just an eyesore and a smell sore. So anyway, that's what a wag bag is. And then the spill kit, um, as the name implies, if you are on any type of off-highway vehicle that is potentially spilling or leaking oil or gasoline, if you're spilling anything, um, then it is appropriate to use the spill kit to try and absorb some of that um, 
leakage, some of that liquid. So anyway, that's what those items are. And so um, all the supplies have been reviewed by all of our partners. We have two universal absorbent pads in here. Um, we have two shop towels, a pair of extra large nitrile gloves, and a sorbent disposal bag, which is bright ye- oh, yellow hey. and says hazard. <laughs> Just in case. In case somebody wants to eat something out of it, okay. Mm -hmm. We have um, a way to clean your hands with a wet nap. Okay. Couple stickers, so the Motorized Trails Committee of Grand County, Utah, which is a committee that helps um, provide guidance to the county commission and to our program Mm -hmm. as well. Right. Um, And then we have a BLM, another BLM educational sticker. Um, Don't ruin history, stop vandalism, and it's, um, it's uh, has I call it. No, it's not rock art, but I use rock art a lot for working with children. But it's got rock art on there. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And then you all donated. You know, that's our twenty twenty four program is grant funded by your department. Yeah, and so you all have microfiber towels that we're also putting in there to give you all a little amazing boost. That's so cool. Adver- you know, love things. it. So, so where would somebody get a spill kit? Is this something that you're, like, handing out to people at the trail? Do they need to request one? Where, where um, are these? I, it's gonna, they're going to be handed out by trail ambassadors. So we'll have people set up on trail, um, educating about responsible recreation, which includes tread lightly um, okay. education. And one of the questions, one of the leading questions that we'll ask is, oh, do you have your spill kit today? Um, and if somebody says no, we have a spill kit for them. Okay. And so um, our staff will explain what it is and why we might need it, and um, they'll be handing it out. And I think my hope is that it becomes a norm to carry yeah. a spill kit, if it's not already a norm. I was going to ask, are most people doing this? Is this pretty, like, standard practice now, or is this kind of a new idea? Like, hey, you're spilling, you're leaking oil. What can we do about it? I don't. So I'm not, I have to preface this with I'm not a motorized recreationist. Yep. So my my understanding is limited. So if I say something that isn't true, just please recognize um, I'm going off of the knowledge that I have been given. Which is impressive that you're trying to learn, right? Yeah. Like maybe this isn't something that you were, you know, brought up doing or do it on the side as well. But this is part of your job. And so, yeah. Yeah. And um, so my understanding is it's not as commonplace as we might hope. Okay. Um, You know, maybe guiding services have to, um, but individuals, citizens, might not have to carry a spill kit. Okay. It's It's just probably just recommended. Yeah. Um, And sometimes, like, when I was researching what goes in a spill kit, like, it can get a little weird. You don't... Really? uh, There, you know, some people say put kitty litter in, which... We have decided not to because that's kind of messy. Mm-hmm. We want people to pack stuff out. Um, what would be the purpose of... Because I know there's kitty litter in the wag bags for, like, absorbing, mm-hmm. right? So would that be in the pads underneath to absorb things? Or, like, where yeah. would you put kitty litter? Um, so, like, let's say you accidentally spilled oil into sand. Um, okay. you, and you could probably put your kitty litter on there and it would absorb some stuff. Oh, you so have to... After it's spilled, it's kind yeah. of like an absorbent. Okay. Yeah, or if it's still spilling, you know, depending on if you're able to stop True. it. Um, but you have to pack out the kitty litter. Mm, and that's where, you that's know, like, difficult. do I add in kitty litter with a shovel? 
like the cost starts to go up and up. Right. And so the best practice with the spill kit that we've made is to clean up what you can with the absorbent pads and towels. Um, and then, you know, you have gloved hands, try to pack out as much damaged resource as you can. So like, um, if you spill on trail, like you might want to remove some of that yeah. oil okay. from the sand. Interesting. That's kind of like the one time when it's like okay to take something from the natural environment, perhaps. If, perhaps. If it's I, been... There's probably like, that's what I have read as best practice, mm-hmm. but there's always an exception to the rule, whether it's a rule or just a situation. Right. Right. Well, if it's on like a you know, a slick rock that's, you yeah, can't necessarily dig it. out the rock <laughs> itself and take it with yeah. you. That's probably not the best practice, but it's probably stained to stain. Yeah. Um, and there might be, you know, like maybe I'm not sure what to do in that case. And I would defer to tread lightly for that. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, we'll talk a little bit about tread lightly later on too, because yeah. I know that they have, um, great partners across the state for and sure. you guys are definitely one of them. Um, sweet. Well, We've had some fun with all the items um, for those listening. Anna literally brought like so many fun goodies to our division today. We're actually just inside the Department of Natural Resources here in Salt Lake City. Anna is from Grand County, lives down in Moab, but was nice enough to make the trip up here to meet with me and talk a little bit about her awesome program that she's got going on and tell us a little bit more about her and how she um, how she's been involved with that. So. I'm going to just turn the time over to her to give her a little time to give us some background. So tell us who you are, where you're from, um, and how you ended up in Moab. So my name is Anna Sprout, and I'm the Responsible Recreation Coordinator for Grand County in Moab, Utah. Um, I work in the department called Grand County Active Transportation and Trails, known as GCAT. You probably, if you've heard of GCAT, you've probably heard of us as Trail Mix. Yes. Um, Trail Mix is still a committee that advises the county commission, and its Trail Mix committee houses um, stakeholders from across the area, including community members that act as representatives for non-motorized sports. Um, The BLM, the Forest Service, the city, and the county sit on it as well. Um, Any land agency is invited, and any um, citizen is invited to attend that. Um, And so once we outgrew, once our staff outgrew um, where we were working under a nonprofit, we got absorbed into the county a number of years ago, and now we are a county department. Okay, I didn't realize that. Yeah. That was kind of the genesis of how you guys came mm-hmm. to be. Because mm-hmm. I have, I mean, yeah, Moab Trail Mix is your Instagram handle and kind of what you advertise as, but it's become a part of the county yeah. as well. I think it, I wasn't there at the time, but I think it just made sense yeah. to, to kind of grow into the county. How long have you been down there now? I've been there for going on a year and a half working for the county, but I've lived in Moab for about seven years. Okay. So what were you doing before? Um, So I finished my bachelor's degree in biology, and then I moved to Appalachian State to get my master's degree in teaching. And um, when it came time to move, I couldn't think of anywhere else besides Moab. Really? So I moved to Moab. Where were you before? Like, had you had any encounters with Moab? What, yeah. what drew you to Moab? Um, I had been to Moab once before in 100 degree heat. Oh, gosh. And done, like, a slick rock in 100 <laughs> degree heat. Almost did the whole enchilada in 100 degree heat, which would have been miserable. But I really, you know, Klondike 
the mountain bike area was really what drew me. And like once you've ridden on like solid rock, yeah, like, there's my personal opinion. There's really no going back to. Well, I was gonna say the first time Anna and I met, I think, was up in the tourism conference oh, in yeah. Vernal last year. <laughs> yeah. And Anna, we were like riding our bikes yeah. on the Red Fleet, which. I showed up and I'm like, I've ridden my mountain bike a couple of years. Like, this should be fine. And it was like some intense, like, slick rock, red rock. Yeah, it was hard. Yeah, and Anna was just cruising, though. Like, the whole time That's I was like trying. True. No, it was true because I was like, I got to keep up with this girl. Like, she's so cool. And and you just destroyed me. That's so. really funny because I was struggling on all the uphills <laughs> and, like, really just fine on all the downhills. Well, that's the thing. is like I kind of am the opposite where I'm like, okay, I can go uphill. But when it comes to, like, these techie drops and, like, technical terrain i'm like eh. yeah. so when you're like yeah i'm down in grand county and i ride moab trails all the time i was like okay that makes sense like yeah you're definitely which means for me it means i have the skill to ride downhill but not necessarily to ride all the up well that's what you need down there right like yeah. take your shuttle to the top of you know where does the um pole enchilada start um borough borough pass yeah which and then ride all the way down the best way so i worked in a bike shop for a couple bike shops for a number of years, and I shuttled up. I was a shuttle driver for the whole enchilada. Okay, fun. The best way to describe any riding in Moab is every downhill is an uphill. Every downhill is an uphill yeah. because it just like takes that much out of you because it's so well, hard. Or what you like, you know. Generally, you're going to remember the downhill portions, but you have to earn every downhill, and sometimes the uphills are longer than the downhills. Yeah. Okay. And like. Unfortunately, we filter out a lot of that really challenging experience when we're, you know, riding something that we've wanted to ride for so long. But there's a lot of uphill on the There <laughs> is. The first time I did it, I was like, this is going to be easy, whatever. It's all downhill. And then we had to climb Burrow Pass. And I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, that was hard. And then it was equally as hard to ride down, though. I was like oh, for sure. exhausted by the end of it. So yeah. <laughs> downhill riding, impressive. Yeah. But anyway, that's, I think, where Anna and I first met, and I was like, hey, she's pretty cool. Ah, thanks. Yeah. Ditto. Well, okay, um, so you're in Moab now. Mm-hmm. You've lived there for seven years, you mm-hmm. said. So you were in the bike shop, you were doing that, and then... I taught math during the pandemic at the high school. No way. Yeah, so I was a math teacher, the ninth grade math teacher for a while, and then as I was... Uh, transitioning from that, this job opened up, and I had already worked as a trail ambassador part part time. Okay. Um, on the weekends, and I had always thought, you know, when I was working in bike shops, you there's so much information that people are taking in just renting a bike, but any trail advice or safety advice that you're giving really is just in one ear and out the other, because mm-hmm. most people haven't at the time hadn't used a dropper post or like you hadn't ridden a bike in a long time. And so I always thought it was a good idea if somebody was stationed at the trailhead talking about, Hmm. you know, what the, what the trails are like, what you need for it. Um, and you know, leave no trace practices. Um, so there was already a program going on beforehand. You were a trail ambassador. Well, what did that look like? Because this sounds like a very different thing than what maybe you were doing if nobody yeah. was at the trail or, you know. So, yeah. So when I moved there seven years ago, um, there was no trail ambassador program until 2021. 
okay. fall of 2021. I think that there was a need that became apparent, especially as there's a spike in visitation right. that we've seen After nationally. the pandemic, obviously, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so there was a practice run in 2020 with just the trail team, and the trail team is our trail builders. So them out there chatting to people, um, seeing if you know this was effective. Okay. Um, and then they did a real pilot program in the fall of 2021. And so they hired on four to five ambassadors. And um, I was part of that. Okay. And so we were out at specific trailheads that see a lot of visitors. And we talked about leave no trace practices, responsible recreation, biocrest, camping, waste, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's when the trail ambassador program really reared its head. Okay. Right? And then in 2022, they hired me on as a responsible recreation coordinator. Um, and so for that spring, I was kind of getting, you know, under try, trying to understand um my new position, where it's going, the program itself. So it was a new itself. position at the yeah. time, right? They mm-hmm. had all these trail ambassadors, and they kind of needed someone to guide the program yeah. going forward. Exactly. Okay. Enter Anna. Enter me. <laughs> okay. And so that was in, remind me the timeline for that March again, a year and a half ago. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Perfect. So that's, maybe that's a good place to start too. And then finally we can describe what the trail ambassador program is. We've talked a lot about like, you know, that this great idea exists, but yeah, tell us. What is the Trail Ambassador Program? What is the mission of the Trail Ambassador Program? And how have you seen it evolve since your time a year and a half ago? Um, Yeah, so the Trail Ambassador Program is an on-trail education program um, focused on three main themes, and that's how to protect yourself, uh, how to protect the environment, and how to respect others while you're out on the trail recreating. Um, and so we set up at trailheads with a tent or bright green. Um, and we have many of these resources, including an actual jar of bio crust okay. um, and some games and water bottles and water. And we talk a lot about, uh, and it depends on the time of year, but hydration, bio crust, waste disposal, Archaeology, any tread lightly or leave no trace mm-hmm. practice. Yes, yeah. okay. Camping in the Moab area, which is a very convoluted subject. Um, yep. And so it's based off of the conversations that we have is based off of where the conversation leads with the individual. Okay. So our trail ambassadors have the knowledge and they, you know, they build rapport with the people that they meet. Yeah. And they try to make Please sure that everybody case. leaves with a really good experience. Um, and so we also talk about the trail, right? So most, some people don't under, don't know that Corona Arch starts with a massive uphill or that it's completely exposed to the mm-hmm. sun the entire time. Right. Um, some people don't know that it's a little challenging to find the trail in Grand Staff Canyon. And so we talk about these themes while we're there as well. It okay. might be hard. Here's how we, you know, identify the main trail versus a social trail. Um, and... Then we also have staff that hike the trail and provide on-trail education. Oh, okay. I didn't realize yeah. that. 
Um, on busy days, our staff is typically set up at a tent. Mm -hmm. If they're out there by themselves or if it's a little bit slower, um, one staff can go and hike the trail and actually have, you know, be in the environment and ex say, you know, like, this is a social trail. This is biocross. Yeah, this showing is, them firsthand. Yeah. Totally. And so that's, those are really good connections as well. And so we count all those connections. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of how we have taken track of our impact okay. currently. Yeah. But well, I'd say that's the foundation of the program. And we have hiking, biking, climbing, and motorized. Okay. Now. I was going to ask, because you mentioned, too, that we're hiking specific trails. Are you, I know you're expanding this year with your off-highway vehicle trail ambassador program, which is awesome, with the spill kits and, and all of that. How do you pick every day where you go? Is it just based on traffic and you have kind of your go-to spots? Are you trying to go into different spots every day? What does that look like? Yeah, we try to go to, for each type of recreation, the high impact areas. So um, we have three hiking sites, three mountain bike sites, three climbing sites, and we're in development of our motorized, so we're identifying a couple sites for that. Okay. Um, and those three will stay the same? You go to those each? Pretty those much. Three. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Like most people, when they come and they can't get into arches, they go to Corona Right, Arch. yes, exactly. <laughs> most Been people, there, done that. If they want water, they're going to Grand Staff. <laughs> yes, totally. Okay, that makes sense. Because so. then you can... And, they obviously might disperse into exactly. different places after, but you've got them mm -hmm. that one time. Okay, that's awesome. Um, you've mentioned a little bit, and I wanted to ask you, you measured these impacts or you measured the count of, mm -hmm. of talking to people. How have you seen those interactions manifest in the environment? So I guess what I'm trying to say is, have you been able to like track these positive interactions in a meaningful way? Because I think it's easier for us to say, you know, this rock art was damaged or this trail has now 14 social trails all around it. How do we measure the positive interactions? Is it less degradation? What, what does that look like? Um, it's a good question. And some of it, I wrote down, you know, you sent me the questions. <laughs> She's all prepared. <laughs> all these charts. Oh, yeah. we got to upload the charts. Um, so... We jumped to the last question. I know, I, I tripped you there. I felt like we were, <laughs> no, I totally liked what go. you, sorry. Um, so I think, how do we ensure positive outcomes? I think the training itself ensures positive outcomes. So when we have our internal training, we focus on presenting ourselves, educating and transferring responsibility in a way that is approachable and friendly. We um, practice our de-escalation techniques. So. Uh, the National Parks uses the slow de-escalation tactic, um, which is stay cool, listen, offer validation, and walk away. Wow, we all could use that, I think, yeah. in society. <laughs> Everyone hear that? Slow. Slow down. And then the authority of the resource communi communication technique. And so all of this is really focused on building rapport with people um, before you move into education. Um, and yep. then before you even offer a level of responsibility to take care of the landscape. Um, and so that's a full day training. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have observed interactions from my, myself and experienced ambassadors. And that's like, we're really watching our language. We're, you know, um, Biocrest doesn't die. We don't kill it. It becomes damaged. You know, the meaning of the word. Mm -hmm. um, is critical. Like, totally. If you kill this, 
and you tell a child you're killing that connotation <laughs> is rather negative. That's like, that's, that's a fair. lot of responsibility okay. for a child to take on. But if they damage you it, it, you killed it, Tommy. <laughs> so it's, it's those little things because we don't, you know, our message is to protect the resource that we have, and that resource also includes the experience. Yeah. Um, and so we don't want to be using language that could be perceived as. Um, extremist yes right okay and so kill <laughs> versus damage yes okay uh, i like that and then we also take out you and i and we use we and are okay like this is inclusive our space this is together exactly. yeah okay um so really bringing people in and so it's those little things that that you you need to be able to pick up on in training to like really get the tone right when you're out there working yeah and so our staff are um they're used to me going oh that was a great interaction but let's not Tried. use kill yeah. <laughs> okay. let's use damage let's get rid so, of the, the k word um, there i think that because our staff is conscientious um when they're approaching people that that helps ensure positive outcomes mm-hmm. um i have had people come back to me people that our staff has, you know, utilized authority at the resource or um, just, you know, I call it the PET approach, present, educate, transfer. Love the um, acronyms. You guys are full of them. <laughs> yeah. Slow, PED, TRED. Um, but anyways, they come, people have come back and said, oh my gosh, I really love the way she corrected my behavior. Oh, okay. Like, um, because what happens is when you're using authority of the resource, you're like, hey, how are you today? We're building rapport. We're talking about BioCrest. Oh, you're right. You are now recognizing that you're standing on BioCrest, right? Yeah. So people start to realize that they're they're causing a level of impact. And we want to make sure we stray away from shame. Yes. Right? So um, people coming to that realization themselves is less shameful than uh, than you potentially telling us them. telling them that right. they're doing something So wrong. when you say authority of the resource, are you talking about... Th- that interaction, the person's authority of question. the resource, or what, what does that mean? Um, authority of the resource is a communication technique um, for changing behavior based off of the needs of the resource. And so a great example is authority of the agency. And actually, here you go. Here's a flyer on okay, it. Okay, perfect. This um, is a real-life trail ambassador <laughs> moment right now. I actually now. just uh, did a training with, the, with NPS and BLM on this. Oh, cool. Um, but if we think about authority of the agency, there's some type of rule that says you can't go off trail, right? And so a law enforcement or officer or ranger could approach you and say, the rule is you can't go off the trail or you'll get ticketed. Okay. That can feel kind of confrontational for folks. Yes. Um, Authority of the resource is we're going to talk about the needs of the resource. Okay, the rule, you know, maybe the rule is you can't go off trail. I may never call it a rule, but I might just say, hey, on the side of the trail is a living soil. Yes. Easily damaged, and that's why there's a lot of signs asking us to stay on the trail. Okay. This right. is really helpful because it has here in this awesome little pamphlet, authority of the agency where the ranger approaches a visitor and says, because of our regulations, you need to put your dog back on the leash. Whereas authority of the resource, you know, they say, this is a time of year when mule deer are dropping their fawns and they're very vulnerable to disturbance. So the dog is running off leash, puts a lot of stress on these animals, which, you know, everyone's like, oh my gosh, I love mule deer. I'm not going to let Rocco, the dog, destroy the mule deer population. Yeah. So I think that's that's very... Um... We're not done with the technique. Oh, sorry. <laughs> There's a backside, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. Um, so 
Leave No Trace uses uh, what, why, how. I've added in two extra steps, and it goes, hi, what, why, how, thanks. Love that. Um, And so in order to use this communication technique and move into education, you have to build rapport. Mm -hmm. Um, And that may take 30 seconds, and that may take 10 minutes. Okay. Um, and then you talk about what you see as objectively as possible. And then you talk about why maybe, you know, having your dog off leash is not a good idea in this area. Right. And, and then you talk about how we can do better. And I've added in the thank you is because, you know, most people just want to do right. And so if we thank them preemptively, fingers crossed, mm. they're going to follow through on it. Okay. Um, also, they stop to listen to you. So. <laughs> yeah. You should say thank you. But, um, yeah, so there's... I love that. This so whole process. Is there... Yeah, is there... Are there pretty receptive people with this approach? Do people, A, want to stop and talk to you, and then are B, respectful, and then C, follow through with yeah. what you ask of them? You know... I think with this type of program, we have to set expectations, and that is we're not going to change every behavior today is mm-hmm. what maybe they take in for tomorrow. And so we may go through this process. It's absolutely perfect. They feel receptive, and then they immediately walk back on BioCrest. Right. Pretty common. Um, and that's okay, right? So we have to accept that we're not going to change yeah, behavior today. Yeah, it's not going to... Um, and then we're also not law enforcement, so we really can't push for this to happen, and especially when, you know, it's not always illegal to walk off trail. Right. Um, and the reception is typically good because um, there's, no, there's little to no confrontation. Yeah. Um, some people will just admit they don't care, and that's also fine. Right? Yeah. Um, and that's when the slow comes in. <laughs> and you have to, what were those ones again? Uh, stay cool. Stay cool. Listen, offer validation, and eventually, if you need to, walk away. Okay. There you go. Um, yeah. But, so we're talking about how we measure the impact. So what I'm saying is that training is one of the ways we ensure positive yeah. interactions. Um, we have just finished a study with USU. Um and our three, our two questions were, do interactions with trail ambassadors result in less ecological impact to targeted trail systems? Um, and the second question is, do interactions with trail ambassadors lead to improvements in pro-environmental behavior? Some of those are science terms, but essentially we just want to know if people walk away with new knowledge yeah. um, and you know, a new ability to to take on new norms. Yeah. Right? Okay. Um, and so we haven't gotten the results for that. But so was they, that a survey that they were doing, mm-hmm. or what, how was that data collection? Um, yeah, it was a survey that we created um, in the winter, and we they went out and they conducted it um, over the course of the spring. Okay. And while we were there, while we weren't there, and then there's um, satellite data that's going to be associated with it as well. Um, and so... We'll find out those results at the end of August. Okay, soon. Yeah. Okay, so exciting. I am really excited because many trail ambassador programs are nonprofits mm-hmm. and have limited funding, and we were fortunate that we have, you know, community behind it 
the program. Yeah. Um, the commission, you know, has a level of advocating for it. And um, if we're able to prove that our program's effective, right. it helps justify programs across the country that are already in existence. Yes. Um, and so I'm really thankful that we're able to do that. And... Yeah, we'll know in August. That's really exciting. And I feel like that was another question I had for you was just, you know, how if other um, other communities, counties, cities were anxious about kind of doing something similar to the Trail Ambassador Program that Grand County has established, yeah. you know, how do they go about doing that? And I think one way it sounds like could be, you know, using this data to show, hey, we've got this in. We put a little bit of funding in. We got these people hired. We put in for grants. This is the result. And that seems like a that will be a positive thing, but what other tips or pieces of advice would you give to other wow. areas? So I just want to say there are a lot of programs across the U.S. that have trail ambassadors, and, um, you know, our climbing program is based off of the climbing stewards in Indian Creek, which is a collaboration between the Friends of Indian Creek and the Access Fund. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have San Juan Mountain Association in Durango that has forest, alpine, and snow ambassadors. Oh, wow. Um, and cool. then the Headwaters Trails Alliance, which is in Grant County, Colorado, had volunteer stewardship ambassadors. Um, and so there's, you know, in the direct area, there's a number of programs that are paying their staff um, through uh, nonprofit funding of some kind, you know, grants or whatever it is. But mm -hmm. um, one thing that I, I wanted to point out and I put in my list of stats <laughs> is yes. that the contact rate for our paid trail ambassadors, so um, we count the number of people that we see versus the number of people that we talk to. Okay. And so the contact rate is about 60% for a paid trail ambassador. And volunteer trail ambassadors, we, we have them do the same thing, and it's about 31%. Okay. And so that number, like the difference between those numbers are pretty drastic. Yeah. And um, I like to connect with the programs across the country. Mm -hmm. um, so I've chatted with all three of the listed stewardship programs. Okay. And Grand County, Colorado is now... Um, they used to be volunteer. They're now paying their ambassadors um, partly because of some of these reasons. Of your stats. That, yeah. That stats and, like, uh, the expectation is for paid employees to make contacts. Right. That's right? their job. You're out. You're yeah, there. They're doing that. <laughs> yes, exactly. Doing that. Okay. Um, and so there's, there's some justification, especially when you live in an area with um, a high cost of living as well. Yeah. Um, so... You know, all three, you know, well, Durango and Grand County, Colorado have a high cost of living, including ourselves in Utah. Right. And so um, moving like the volunteer positions can be a little challenging to maintain um, when, mm -hmm. you know, people are just kind of weighing the options when it comes to housing and, and paying yeah, rent. Totally. So I'd say it's really helpful in our area and not every program can do that. So, you know, my understanding is and I'm going to talk to all these people I'm going to list, because um, like I said, I like to reach out to them, but Grand Staircase, Grand Staircase Escalante Partners, they have volunteer trail ambassadors, Mountain Trails Foundation in Park City has ambassadors, um, Vail Valley Mountain Trails Alliance has wildlife ambassadors, and there's also 
Um, if you go to trailambassador.com, you can find um, a Wisconsin program for motorized recreation. Okay. So <laughs> you did your research. There's so many out there. You did your research. The Wisconsin Trail Ambassador Program gets a shout out here yeah. on the Recreation Elevated podcast. So that's sweet. Yeah. No, that's, that's cool to hear that there are so many, mm-hmm. you know, that are up and coming. And to know that funding really does make, you know, a hundred percent difference right from 30 to 60 percent and we love our volunteers i just have to say that we love you okay your work is important don't leave we need the 30 percent still (laughs) but it you know when it comes to maintaining at least the core trail ambassadors yeah should probably be paid employees but that's what i would say to, to folks you know if you're developing a program like there's a lot of programs out there that you can pull from um and that's kind of what i did um as i was refining the program and still refining it but um, as I pulled from those conversations and like the data they collected and how they collected it and yeah the means of use and um, uh, you can build one in fact you know if you were like I want to build one today in my county I'd be like well here are resources yeah go that's yeah Um, but um, I don't know what I was going to say but too no I think that's that's a really key point. And I think a lot of nonprofit work or, you know, city county work, they rely heavily on grants, which shameless plug for the division about their recreation grants here. I'll say definitely that, you know, Grand County has been a frequent flyer for our grants and they've done such a good job every year because they do have this really robust data collection. They're showing the need, they're showing what they're going to do. And they come back every year and they say, we did exactly what we thought we were going to do. And this is, you know, the success. So, you know, if there are communities and, and places within the state, please reach out to us here at the division because there are resources and grants and funding available to you for um, for this exact thing, especially through the OHV recreation grant that's going on. I guess it closes literally today right now. You have seven minutes left to apply. <laughs> closes at 5 well, p.m. You know, we're really thankful for these <laughs> grants because not only do they help our trail work with you know, I think we applied to the RTP grant, but mm-hmm. we applied to the um, OHVR grant mm-hmm. and um, were able to hire a full-time motorized trail ambassador for 2024, which is really exciting because I have limited experience in that realm. Yeah. And um, there's been an express need from the motorized community that they want representation that actually has motorized experience and so I can advocate all I want but you know having that input from somebody who's been doing it for a long time is going to be invaluable is that the position I noticed that you were hiring a position on your website is that the one that you're currently looking for still have you filled it are you looking for other trail ambassadors at this point yeah so right now we're looking for uh, biking climbing and part-time motorized trail ambassador so it's just a seasonal job right now and that job the full-time job will fly sometime um, near the end of the year okay awesome that's exciting to see it grow and i think the the off-highway vehicle one is it's super exciting to see that that's coming to fruition after for sure after advocating for that so well i wanted to um before we close talk a little bit about two programs that um or two groups that you've partnered with um we've mentioned it a little bit in as we've talked, but tread lightly. Do you want to just explain a little bit about um, who tread lightly is and if put a plug in for them? Cause I know they've been, 
you know, right alongside you guys and doing this type of work. So Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about what Tread Lightly is and what kind of coordination you guys have with them. Um, So Tread Lightly is a nonprofit organization whose mission is to educate folks on responsible recreation techniques um, within all types of recreation community, but we've been working with them in the motorized realm. Um, I think they've... They do. They focus pretty heavily on motorized too, from what they I do. Um, from what I know about them. Um, but I think obviously their tactics and their approach is across all recreational activities, and they have a an acronym as well. Yes, and it is travel responsibly, respect the rights of others, educate yourself, avoid sensitive areas, and do your part. Um, so it encompasses, you know, all forms. Of responsible recreation, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. traveling responsibly means staying on designated roads, trails, or areas and understanding when you're on public versus private. Um, and, you know, what do you need from your group? You should probably go out with more than one vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then respecting the rights of others is, you know, trail etiquette, leaving gates how you find them, yielding when needed. So how I like to explain it is the bigger your mechanized vehicle is, like the more likely you're going to have to um, yield to smaller Mm -hmm. things. Okay. So a bike. Right. um, You know, a person. Yes. Um, And then educate yourself. So understanding the regulations of the area, making sure you have everything that you need, making sure you have all the permits that you need for that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you all just completed um, the OHV education course. And so now when you come to Utah and you want to recreate with your vehicle, you should probably take the OHV course. Yes. (laughs) Um, Of course, there's, you know, specific types of vehicles. Um, But yeah, you know, making sure you also wear your helmet, your eye protection, um, and that you know your limitations, which is a personal, personal perspective. Um, Avoiding sensitive areas. So like one of our most sensitive um, resources are bio crust, but other areas have tundra and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. Um, as well as archaeological and paleontology paleontological yeah that's a word (laughs) i always get it mixed i always mess it up you did great um and then just to do your part by modeling appropriate behavior um you know carrying a trash bag uh carrying a spill kit Mm -hmm. making sure you know it's you have your vehicles ready because a lot of you know our area Mm -hmm. is very dry so you don't want to have any sparks or anything happening out there um and then also um just making sure that you're disposing of waste um, and trying to do your part to re- keep the area the way it is yeah. today. Awesome. Um, so, but they've been really helpful um, as we've moved forward with the motorized program in you know providing direction. They've you know spill kit was something that I took on um, with no knowledge, and nice. you know their feedback essential. They've reviewed all of our signage. Um, any any type of language we're using they've reviewed um, along with your department the BLM and the motorized trails yeah you've got a lot of people this is going through check marks on everything Uh, because you know it's so important that this reflects the needs of the community yeah um, and you know it comes from a motorized perspective totally um so I'm really excited about that um 
So let's tread lightly. Sweet. Thank you on the fly for, you know, giving that. I didn't put that in our notes, but that was, that was a perfect um, uh, description of them. And they've just been great partners of ours in the past, too. And I think they, well, yeah, they received our stewardship award last year at the Recreation mm-hmm. Summit. So they've just, they've been awesome. Um, also, another program that I wanted to mention and ask you a little bit about, um, I know you've worked with All Trails mm-hmm. to kind of establish a really great system of reporting trail conditions. Mm-hmm. So maybe tell us a little bit about what that partnership looks like um, and how it's been a, a benefit to you down in Grand County. Yeah, so um, All Trails is completing or is building a back-end portal so that land managers have access to um, the trails uh, in their area. So um, because we have a very long-standing history with the BLM and the Forest Service going back 20 years with a lot of trust um, and we build and maintain trails on um, BLM land and Forest Service land, we're able to be a part of it. Um, it's not gonna be common that okay. that, peop- that you know a county would have all as much access as we do. So I just wanna make that really clear as there's a long Yeah, this is a unique situation for sure. Um, and so they have this backend access and we can edit information regarding the usage, the trail description, the trail itself. Um, and what we've done with it is we have gone through popular areas, right? So. Uh, the Moab Brands is a popular beginning mm-hmm. biking area. The parking situation was all trails had parking at the smallest parking lot in the area when there's like a three-acre parking lot. It's huge. Yeah. <laughs> like the opposite direction. Yeah. And so, you know, like that's that's a pretty big one yeah. um, that we went in and corrected. And just marked like, this is the designated is... parking spot. Come mm-hmm. here with your massive yeah. trailer if you need to. There's yeah. room. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, like they're uh, putting a bit more standardized information on the whole enchilada trail so mm-hmm. that people kind of understand the breakdown of it. Um, and then there's a couple hiking areas that have gotten a little bit of work because they're popular and you need to know that it's going to be hot during this time of right. year. Or yeah. These sorts of expectations that maybe, you know, user-generated data might not think about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that is, I wouldn't say it's like unique to our area, but it can feel unique, especially if you might be coming from an area of forested lands, right? Um, and so we're able to go in there and ensure that these high impact areas have information that is correct and it's nice. ease of access. Um, we. You know, we don't have the capacity to go through all of their trails. Um, so, you know, I I think all trails recognizes, is starting to recognize the, um, the challenges that we face as land managers mm-hmm. um, in that there's a capacity challenge. Like, we can't just work on this back-end portal right. as much You're as doing possible. doing a lot of other things. Yeah, and there's, you know, there's also five other apps to have a relationship with. Right. Um, even if All Trails is one of the most utilized ones for yeah. hiking. Um, and so there's some challenges that come with, you know, it's just, it's a new, it's a new product. Yeah. Um, but I would say they've been 
when we've, they've been really receptive when we've needed them to. So at one point there was a trail, an OHV trail driving up single track on the whole enchilada. And like, mm. typically it's challenging to get a trail off, but that's illegal use and user creates user conflict. Right. Um, uh, and so, and it's a safety risk because right. people are coming down fast. Um, and so being able to easily put in reasons why this trail just cannot exist on any platform right. uh, makes it easy for the for them to delete trails. Okay. And I'm not saying they're going to delete every trail. They're not. Um, but when it comes to, you know, legality, user safety, and mm-hmm. stuff like that, they've been they've receptive. They've been pretty receptive. That's great. Um, and so I think that's been one of the biggest benefits is, you know, having yeah. the having the more constant contact with them. Totally. Um, which well, is that's, good. that's total. It's, it's encouraging to hear that. I think a lot of the times as recreators in the outdoors, we just are taking for granted that every app and every, you know, thing that we're looking at, every map is going to be completely up to date. And the reality is that there's somebody on the ground, like actually there describing and giving feedback. And when you read that description, somebody actually went and looked at the trail and read the and wrote the description. So I think one of the reasons I wanted to start this whole podcast was to kind of highlight these people that work tirelessly behind the scenes so that everybody else can recreate with ease. And that's one way that I think um, you guys have been so, so awesome is, you know, I was down in, in Moab just earlier this spring riding the enchilada and just recognizing like there's brand new signs up that are just mm-hmm. so helpful to des- designate like this is your last chance if you want to bail right now. And I was like, maybe I do want to bail because I know what's coming ahead. And anyway, it was just like knowing who's working behind the scenes now. And I was like, oh, Maddie and Anna had something to do with this down here. And this is really cool. Um, so anyway, I think it's just important to recognize that if you're going anywhere recreating, there is somebody behind the scenes just slaving away and making sure that you are having a very enjoyable and safe time and the reasons that they have regulations and rules and signage it's for a very good reason so anyway thanks for doing all you do down there to to make things run as smoothly as they do because well it's a good time it goes back to our 20-year partnership (laughs) that's that's such a good point is that you have to have that good standing relationship with Mm -hmm. these partners yeah and and you know sometimes um it, they have they have their own restrictions, right? Like you know, federal land agencies have their yeah. own restrictions, and so you just have to be creative when working within the bounds of of what they require, mm-hmm. right? So like, um, the spill kit has no branded information outside of their partners and our partners, and so this is acceptable yeah. to be out on federal public lands giving out. So, you know, how can we get creative? Um, right. And that sometimes means, you know, making our own spill kit. Totally. Um, well, and that look what you did. You yeah, made so it be really creative cool when you're working with them. Um, yeah, that's a good piece of advice, partners. I think, for, for all people working on federal and state and whatever type of land. Um, okay, well, this has been super awesome. I feel like I've learned a lot. Hopefully people have learned a lot. I wanted to give you a, just, a, you know, the rest of the time to – Tell us anything exciting that's going on down in Moab that you want to advertise or anything that you think we left out of this conversation. Um, I feel like we have really mm. a lot of good, good yeah. points, but 
I can I have I have a bit more. Okay. Um, so just to give people an idea of the amount well just just to let you know, this is how many people we talked to. Yeah, year. okay. This would be this is actually really cool, yeah. So in twenty twenty two we had our hiking and biking program and that extended from that was from March to November, mid-November. Okay. Um, so we had we actually had staff out during the summer as well, which we don't this year. But in 2022, we saw 57,000 people. Um, we talked to 36,000 of those of those people, and um, out of those 36,000 conversation, 15,000 of them contained preventative search and rescue information. So that's. That's what the the numbers that we're seeing. That's awesome, that. and those are from those locations. Those maybe mm-hmm. those six locations. Six locations. Okay. Yep. yep. And so you know, in one day, Corona Arch can see up to a thousand people. So it it can get it can get overwhelming for our staff. Yeah. Um, and so you know, they're talking to about six hundred of those people. Yeah. Um, That's a lot. It is a lot, and then. Now we're moving into 2023, and we've only gone through spring. Does not include we have, does not include large numbers in the summer. We are at the top of Porcupine Rim for many weekends. Okay. Um, but since March, we've had 45,000 encounters. 26,000, almost 27,000 of them have been informative. So some type of education has been passed on, and out of those 26,000. Um, 18,000 have contained preventative search and rescue information. And so that's a pretty large number just coming out of spring, but we've also expanded programming. And with expanded programming in 2024 with motorized recreation, we're expecting to see that increase. Okay. Um, Because there's a lot lot of of motorized (laughs) recreation going on down there. And I think one thing to remember is like, even if we're not passing on information, our presence changes behavior. Totally. Right? So just seeing your green tent. Seeing our green tent that you know, those twenty thousand people that we didn't talk to, like their behavior may change mm-hmm. based off of our presence. And so um we're really excited for the consistency in those numbers, especially if the USU study shows that we've been effective. Yeah. Um and then can't say this for sure, but we got a hold of search and rescue information, no, no names, nothing like that, just, like, what type of accident okay. it was and where it was. Um, and our program officially begun in 2022. I was hired on, this is, like, trail ambassadors running. Yes. Full on. Okay. So from 2021 to 2022, um, there is a very large decrease of search and rescue incidences at the three main hiking trailheads that we that set, you up at. set up at. Okay. I want to show you it. Yeah. So there's 2021, there's 2022. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying we did that, but we're going well, that's from like a third. We're going from about 14 in uh yeah. search and rescue to incidences five. to 5. Yeah. Um and so, I mean, we can't say it's us. Right. I there's so there's many some, factors. Some correlation, you know, I think. I won't say that. <laughs> okay, I'll say it. <laughs> she you said can't it. get in trouble. Not me. I'll say it. No, I think obviously, like, the education portion of all of this is something that just, I think, is highly 
underutilized at times. And so to yeah. see you guys doing it and being out there, there's no doubt that it's that it changes, yeah. you know, what how people behave and, and what they do outside. So things I need from people who are listening. Okay. We train our staff. We get them science certified, first aid training, um, leave no trace trainer training, tread lightly training, site steward training. All of this is either hap- has happened or is happening. What other training can I provide my staff? Because I have gone through a lot of lists, a lot of searches. Okay. So if there's any training that people think is relevant... To the Mob Trail Ambassador Program. To a Trail Ambassador Program. Okay. If they could send it yeah. my way. Okay. I wonder if like a, a woofer doing the wilderness first aid, if that's something that you guys would ever... Well, so that's a good question. Um, we are not first responders. And that's... Right? We do have um, a first aid kit and um, a spot device mm-hmm. for emergencies, but um, I don't... Our program is primarily education. Yeah. I know we're recognized as a uniformed presence out there, so we have to have some level of first aid. But um, our it's a good it's, it's a balance that we're yeah, and it's I think an important differentiation differentiation to make is you guys are not trained in search and rescue practices. This mm-hmm. is education based and should uh, you know an event happen where you're present like anybody else would. Having first aid training is is mm-hmm. helpful, um, but maybe not necessarily. Wilderness first aid responder yeah. requirements. So um, a woofer might be just a little bit outside of the scope. A yeah. woofa is within the scope okay. for sure. And yeah. so we we don't we don't do woofas, but we get first aid training from the EMS, local EMS and search and rescue. So. And woofa is wilderness first aid, mm-hmm. just not responder. You don't, don't go like all rigging the... somebody up and out <laughs> yeah. of like a crevasse or something. Well, You're just, just trying rigging to... up their legs. And... Yeah, right. <laughs> like woofer training can sometimes be a little it's traumatic. Pretty intense. Yeah, and it's like a <laughs> but full. But woofa isn't okay. as traumatic. <laughs> there you go. That's the differentiation. Less trauma. Yeah. I never okay. went into the stats of how many I know. people visit Moab. <laughs> okay, well, we can talk about that. I I was like I have them all like bunched in here together, but oh, like gosh. if if it feels. Like, yeah, let's talk about staff. Or 2022 staff. numbers, because okay. everybody's on a different f- fiscal year. Um, so Dead Horse saw 1.1 million. Arches saw 1.4 million. Canyonland sees 700,000. Uh, BLM's estimates are about 3 million visits. And Sandflats estimates about 250,000. Now, we're not, we're in the top, hold on, we're the second most visited state park in utah so that's the first one um sand hollow sand hollow is the first Mm -hmm. and um, we're next and you're next and then antelope island is third interesting yeah okay um i wouldn't have thought but only three state parks in utah go over a million visitors out of 42 oh really isn't that crazy that is crazy well Um, i was gonna ask sometimes the numbers are hard for me to like wrap my hands around with like hey it could be three million it could be one million i don't know i don't know and some of these are overlap visits right yeah but in comparison to other state parks like that's helpful to hear we don't even break into the top 10 for national parks arches doesn't mm -mm. so zion okay sees 4.6 4.6 million. They're the highest then. Yeah. yeah. They're, I don't, I don't remember where they are in the numbers, but I hope they have a trail ambassador program. <laughs> are you listening, Zion? <laughs> and then, um, but keep in mind, Moab city is about 5,000 people and Grand County, which is outside of the city is about 
10,000 people. Yeah. So we're Ten. seeing a really massive influx. A of huge people. influx compared to the size. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it's important to remember that like places like Zion have like they are a federal agency program. Like they have national park mm-hmm. rangers out yeah. and about. Like you guys are very different in that things are coming, you know, more from a local side and that's what's yeah. even more cool is that those you know, those parks have an established federal regulation on how to do this type of stuff and you guys are kind of writing your well, own story we're taking with, some of their advice you're taking too. some of their advice you're yeah. on federal land yourself as well yeah. but you're also doing things in city and county property so yeah it's a combination of of things so totally yeah well sweet this was awesome yeah. this is so fun to see all the work that you're doing and hear about it and i know that um anna's probably given this presentation like how many times now <laughs> just once just once just once okay well at your all's conference well you went to the international trails conference i did on all trails you were there on all trails and then you came but i'll do a trail ambassador for next year are you going to yeah okay sweet no well thank you seriously for taking the time to talk about this um you guys are awesome and we're really happy that you are still partners with us and continue to just do such great work throughout the state Well, thanks again, Anna, for taking the time. It was really fun to sit down and chat with Anna. It's rare that we get to see the people that we work so closely with in person. We have a lot of over-the-phone meetings or we see each other maybe like once or twice a year at conferences, but it was fun to have Anna come to the office and get to um, sit down with her and just chat. Um, And I think I need to go down and ride bikes with Anna in Moab so that she can teach me how to be competent on the technical terrain that is slick rock um thanks everyone for listening really appreciate it um hopefully crossing my fingers that we can release episodes a little bit more frequently um but no promises things continue to be a little bit crazy over here at the division but all really fun and good and exciting things to keep us busy so hope everyone is having a good end of summer I guess I want to say hesitantly I can't believe it's already coming to an end but hopefully you're gearing up for the school season or the fall, my favorite season, um, with a little bit of cooler temperatures, hopefully. So anyway, thanks everyone. Enjoy your week and get outside.